Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 239, the December 1988 issue on sale, August 16th of 1988. The cover price of a dollar, this one's titled Vanities, or Vanities. And on the cover, it says, Sinister Schemes. Spinster Schemes. Dot, dot. Dot dot ignite inferno train bark and I gotta ask does that is that good grammar does it mean anything is it English I don't know <laughs> sinister schemes ignite inferno so is that like sinister schemes I feel like there should be a comma in there <laughs> no it's all one it's all it's all one phrase sinister schemes ignite inferno I don't know that it's a complete I mean, I guess it is. You have your you have your describing sinister describes your noun, which is schemes. Yeah, ignite is your verb, and inferno, I guess, is your other noun subject. It's object. Your, it's your preposition. Okay. No, I don't know. Uh, no, I guess when you say it like that, sinister schemes ignite inferno. So the sinister schemes that are about to unfold will ignite the inferno, not Mister Sinister's schemes ignite the inferno i think what happened is that mr spinster got onto twitter and he was like hmm, sinister schemes dot 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 and then he came back he had to go to the bathroom or something and then he came back dot dot ignite inferto so what we what we're looking at is two tweets oh i see what you're saying uh and in the background of this you have a giant uh, rendition of mr sinister with the foreground, you've got him holding in the palm of his hands a, I don't know, what looks like a dead Havoc being cradled by a Goblin Queen-dressed Madeline Pryor. Do we know that she's a Goblin Queen yet? Is that official? I can't remember. Uh, spoilers. She's wearing that, <laughs> like, sexy or revealing or however you want to look at it um, outfit of hers that she got a while ago. I don't remember why she got it. Mr. Sinister in his normal colors, uh, normal being not the the green star that is, has been on his chest the last two appearances. Yeah, uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a good cover. Mark Silvestri, Dan Green, you know, good stuff. So, um, yeah, opening this thing up here, it's, uh, you got uh, some um, music here. Hot Time Summer in a City, which I looked up the band. Uh, and I've forgotten who it is. <laughs> uh, hot time summer in a city. Isn't that like Eddie Cochran or something? Nope. <laughs> hot time summer in a city. Dibba, dibba, jibba, dibba, dibba, dibba. Dirt and gritty. Uh, Back of my neck feeling dirty and pretty. <laughs> dirt, dirt, dirty and gritty. So really the song, who, who's the band I can't recall, uh, and I could easily Google it, but I'm just not going to do that, uh, is definitely describing the mood and the feel of downtown Manhattan. Yes. As as we may or may not have established, there is a heat wave happening among also the things coming to life. Right. And uh, we, we start our attention on some tourists that are at the um, Empire State Building and uh, reading some facts that the Empire State Building is 102 stories high, but the elevator is reporting that it goes up to a the 113th floor and the children want to know why adam that's all they want to know 
And nerd dad says, must be a misprint in the guidebook to his wife, dear. And somebody drops some ice cream. She says, Junior's right, dear. And he thinks to himself, Junior should drop dead. Which, like, wow, what a jerk dad. This this guy clearly doesn't want to have kids. Yeah, I mean, then he goes on to think to himself. Well, he says, after all, buildings don't grow. Unlike kids, he thinks to himself, lordy, the money it takes to keep them in clothes. And sigh, ice cream. Wish I could drown him in the stuff. <laughs> he hates his children and wants them to die. He wants to drown them in ice cream. <laughs> also, uh, just because somebody won't let it go, it's the loving spoonful that does summer in the city. Yes. See, I was close. <laughs> Were you? No. I had the right <laughs> era. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they get into the elevator. There's a there's a dude who's uh, cleaning the floors, and he's just listening to his music, presumably listening to the Love and Spoonful. This isn't just any dude. This is a Patreon user, Adrian Bundy. <gasps> That's right. Adrian Bundy is mopping up the entire Empire State Building all by himself, listening to his tunes, not paying attention to the dumb Manhattan tourists, smoking his cigarette. He's He's got a little backstory. Oh. Like he, he, he filed this paperwork and he put in to go into school and he's actually in training as a watcher right now. Oh, geez. And, uh, I guess what, so he got into the Academy and he went out to the moon where they start teaching the new watchers how to do their watching stuff. And I guess what happened is they sent him back to the earth and, uh, you know, to, to interface with a, a group of people. Um, not necessarily the earth. It just happens that Adrian Bundy is an earthling. So he, he comes back to the earth and now his, uh, he's supposed to just kind of pay attention to things as they happen. He's learning the, the ropes. He's, he's training for his watching tests. Okay. He's not doing a very good job watching though, because he loses track of the elevator, uh, and the elevator eats the tourists. Yeah, he's not very good at this. <laughs> uh, and they're screaming, it's hurting, Daddy, something's got me. Somebody, anybody, for the love of heaven, have mercy. Uh, and Adrian Bundy comes along with his mop and cleans up all the blood that is dripping out of the uh, elevator. He doesn't just clean it up. He doesn't pay attention as he cleans it up. He doesn't notice that there's blood on the floor. No, not at all. <laughs> Adrian Bundy, I have a feeling you are not going to pass your watcher exams. No, you... you, you I mean, it's in the name. You have to watch stuff. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so then we leave uh, Adrian Bundy and we flip our attention over to Mr. Sinister, who is very sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, we, do we know Mr. Sinister's powers at this point? Because like we get this kind of lead in that says... Here in his command post has the entire world at his fingertips. It's said information is power. If so, then conceivably he has it all. Access to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Okay. I don't know that we've seen... We haven't seen him fight. Like, the X-Men have fought the Marauders. I don't know that the X-Men have actually met Mr. Sinister, have they? Uh, I don't believe so, no. Yeah, so... Uh, we don't know his powers, and and to be quite honest, in the uh, pantheon of the X Men, I don't know that I've ever actually seen him display said powers. I'm sure he has. Well, the only time we saw him do something is when Sabretooth attacked him and he grabbed him by oh, the throat. That's true, and he's going to use uh, he he will display a power uh, in an upcoming panel. But other yes. than that, I, I don't I don't know. But I mean, I guess 
I think they, I think Mr. Sinister gets a very retconned uh, origin over time. But as of now, we don't know who he is, where he comes from, and really the full extent of his powers. But he has a gigantic, what looks to be crystalline, but then it also has hoses. Uh, but it's a giant throne of sorts. I was thinking it looked kind of like the Siege Perilous. Mm, He's sitting sure. on the throne of Siege Perilous. Yeah, it's not the Siege Perilous, but yeah, I could see that. Uh, and and so in front of him, he's thinking. I guess this is one of his powers. He's he's conjured or he's uh, levitating some crystal uh, figures of the X Men. His X Men chess set. He just got it all mailed in. He must have stolen it from the adversary. Maybe <laughs> could be. Uh, or Roma. Maybe they're related. Well, they they probably all ordered from the same set. It's like a mail order thing. You get one X Men a month. Who do you think he's holding in his right hand? I think it's Dazzler. Well, it's not Dazzler because Dazzler's right there. But whoever it is has like um, leg warmers. So you would think it was Rogue, but Rogue is right there. Uh, Maybe that's Madeline that's in the bubble, and so it is Dazzler. I mean, the first one he goes to talk about is Dazzler, so we'll just just assume it's Dazzler. Anyways, yeah, he's very sad. He's he's got all this stuff. it's said that a man is measured by the quality of his enemies. You are the best. I was looking forward to the test of your wits and skills. But now, no thanks to me, you are dead. He's got little booties. <laughs> <laughs> he does have little booties. Like little Peter Pan booties. They don't seem to match his his uh, strippy cape and cowl thing that he's got going on. His giant collar. I think he's Peter Pan. He just grew up. How much time do you think he spends ironing this whole getup? Uh, maybe that's one of his superpowers. <laughs> oh, okay. He feels cheated, diminished, uh, but that's when Polaris, or um, I guess, uh, what's her face? Uh, Malice. Malice comes flying in, in Polaris's body, and she's like, what's going on? I tried to separate from Polaris, but I couldn't. Psychic bond between us, I'm stuck. And Mr. Sinister's like, yep, it's unbreakable, it's permanent. She gets all mad. She... Goes to attack Mr. Sinister, and he uses his powers. He holds out his hand, clenches a fist, and stops her in mid-jump, and I guess is choking her, too. So is he, like, telekinetic? I mean, it would seem like he's able to keep things floated. Yeah, let's let's go with he's got some telekinesis in addition to some other powers. This is the first bit of confusion. Um, He says that she is... He he knew all along that when Malice possessed Lorna that they would be trapped together permanently. And then he says, you're still free to roam, my pet, and possess whom you please. Only now you have a body to come home to, which seems to be the opposite of what he just said, which that she can't leave him. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite of what he said and what she experienced. She said, I tried to separate and I couldn't. But then, yes, he gives her all this information that, well, you can, but you can't go very far and you always have to come back. But that's that's okay, isn't it? It's what you always wanted, a body. And this bond will keep Miss Dane subservient even when you aren't in residence. As with any bargain, there's a trade-off. You lose a measure of freedom and I – it doesn't sound like she's losing a measure of freedom because he just said she's still free to roam. So I guess the measure of freedom is that does she have to come back to the body? 
is there a time limit on this? Yeah, I guess if she wanted to permanently possess somebody else, like she had uh, possessed Dazzler for a little while, she wouldn't be able to do that. Maybe she can't possess anybody else. That doesn't make any sense, though. I don't know. This is a this is a confusing story point. And I don't know how well it's followed up on. There are many confusing story points in this issue. <laughs> um, and then he loses a replaceable asset, which doesn't seem like a big deal. I'm losing a replaceable asset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he does go on to, I think, add further context to that on the next page. He's basically just like building her up to be like, no, this is this is good. This is what you want. Like you're stronger and you're unique and I rely on you and you're the marauder I like best. And she's like, <laughs> okay. And she leaves. And then he's like, she believed me because she wanted to. I made her feel proud and special. It's not what I read. Oh. <laughs> and he goes on to say that Sinister has no heart. Vanity of vanity of the key to the person's soul and thereby blah, blah, blah. So he's basically like, I just told her what she wanted to hear. And uh, she left. And she's fine. And I got what I want. Sinister has no heart, vanity of vanity, the key to a person's soul and thereby to dominance over them, which is the theme of this issue. What do you think he means when he says Sinister has no heart? Does that mean like literally he has no heart or he just has no emotions? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> do we, I don't, I don't know that we'll ever find out either. Okay. So it could it could go either way. I mean, I, I think he, in this sense, he just means he has no emotions. I'm asking you to speculate, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so then we get our first look at a crystal figure, or I think it's a crystal figure, and it's it's Jean Grey in her X Factor uniform. She turns it to the or he turns it to the side and then faces it back to him, and it's Madeline. Is it? No. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is Madeline. Okay, so that so it was always Madeline. I guess the other drawing just looked weird. Well, apparently it, it, when he turns them, they change, so. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, because then he he reaches out to kind of the uh, the floating figures and pulls Dazzler down with his left hand. So he's got Gene slash Madeline in his right hand. And he reaches out and grabs Dazzler with his left hand. But nobody in that group of figures is, is has the same pose as Dazzler. If you go back and look, I mean, we're getting way too detailed about this. I know, but it's, I think, I think, yeah, I think below Wolverine. Well, yeah, that's the one that I thought was Dazzler. But then uh, I was like, well, maybe that's Madeline. Her butt is sticking out, but she does, you're right, she does not have a microphone in that hand, like both her hands at her side. We're definitely overanalyzing this. Uh, even the the figure that he has in his right hand on that very first page, uh, the one with leg warmers, um, doesn't look like an X-Factor uniform, doesn't look like Madeline's outfit, and doesn't really look like the outfit that Dazzler's wearing. So it's probably it's not well drawn. But I feel like I feel like there's more to... Uh, Mr. Sinister turning Gene and then revealing it to be Madeline, then him simply, I mean, I think it's foreshadowing, right? Well, of course. <laughs> so, so I, I'm, I'm willing to say that he was, he's playing with his dollies and he was playing dress up earlier. So he dressed up Gene gray and some leg warmers. Okay. <laughs> I, I buy that. It's, it's workout Gene gray. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, he reaches out, grabs Dazzler and, and then we flip to uh, Dazzler in the Outback, opening up a saloon. And this is when we finally get our title. 
It's an infernal prologue. It is called Vanities. Chris Claremont's the writer. Mark Silvestri and Dan Green are the artists. Tom Orkowski's lettering. Glennis Oliver's the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the bouncer. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, and by the way, in case you haven't been paying attention, Stan Lee presents this. (laughs) Doesn't he? He presents all of them, doesn't he? Yeah, I I wanted to make a mental note of tracking when that actually became a thing, and I I never did. I don't think it was always. Oh, okay. (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah, it's Saturday night. She wants to go and party, and so she finds a saloon. Everybody's fighting. And uh, she takes the stage and sings, and everybody starts or stops fighting. And isn't this the same thing that Wolverine yelled at her for for a couple issues ago? Yep, <laughs> this is the thing that led to her getting a motorcycle, I think. <laughs> uh, but the, so she she doesn't care. She's she's sneaking out. Like Wolverine's like, all right, good night, everybody, especially you, Songbird. And uh, she's like, long shot, get on my motorcycle. Wolverine's sleeping. We can go to the club. We're going to the Outback Pub. <laughs> and uh, Longshot is there, as a matter of fact. And at the end of all of the singing, she brings him up onto the stage and they kiss. And that's when Mr. Sinister snaps Dazzler in half. Uh, and I guess we're done with Longshot's story, too, because who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, does does Mr. Sinister have a Longshot action figure? <laughs> Oh, yeah, he does. Totally. He's got okay. all the action figures. He's got the complete set. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Even the rare one. I don't know which one the rare one is, but he has it. Okay. So then we flip over to, uh, he grabs his Havoc dolly off the shelf, and uh, he's he's running, and he's daydreaming about sh- shooting Polaris. The importance is that, not that he hit her, but that he had tried to kill her. He's having several flashbacks. Right. Then he flashes to the uh, brood that he killed, and he, he's really questioning whether or not it makes a difference. And he's running, he's running harder, he's pushing, he's just trying to push past the uh, push past the pain. And he falls to his knees and says, "Lord, forgive me, I killed them." Two different broods, I guess. Yeah, so man brood and a woman brood. Actually, you can't even see the second one. It's two different broods, though. I think he killed a woman brood. I don't remember. I tell myself, there was no alternative. I maybe even believe it. But what about next time? Because he was running. Right. He's he's winded for sure. And that's when Dazzler and Longshot are riding on the motorcycle and she's lit up like a Christmas tree. They're coming back from the bar. So I don't, is it bar time? Did they go at like 11 a.m. on a Saturday? Like what's happening here? I guess maybe long shots or uh, Havoc's out for a night run, maybe. Or it's the next morning. Well, that could be. That could be. Uh, so as they drive away, um, we see Madeline walking out of the light. And I would argue that it looks a little Phoenixy. Not quite. Um, well, yeah. I mean, uh, Havoc even kind of alludes to it. Dazzler's light show forming some kind of fiery shape. Who's that coming out of it? And uh, she answers the thought balloon by saying, only me, Alex. Oh, Madeline, sorry, I didn't realize I was speaking aloud. And if you weren't, wouldn't it be a kick if I could read minds? Ha ha, very funny, babe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little flirting going on here. She, This next panel, she's got like ridiculously uh, colored cheeks. I don't know what's going on here. 
Is she blushing? Well, she's, she's blushing. It's bad. I was watching on my monitors, saw you fall, wanted to make sure you were okay. <laughs> if I ever saw a woman blush like that, I'd be like, we got to get you to a doctor now. <laughs> Something is wrong with you. You're turning into a clown. <laughs> Uh, watching me gotten to be a bit of a habit. I like looking at you, Alex. Worry about you. I care. They grab hands and uh, we flip our attention over to Mr. Sinister, who does not snap the Havoc doll. I don't know if there's any importance to that, but grabs down the Storm doll. It's a collector's item. That's right. <laughs> it's bagged, man. It's in, it's in the package. And so we get our various iterations of Storm, all the way from Classic Storm to Punk Storm to... I don't know, African Storm to Modern Storm. Storm is looking at herself on the computer's computer banks. Just weird. The complex, I guess the 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 computers that of the complex that they have taken over have all of this information about the X-Men comprehensive files that obviously no other place has because they're under the Siege Perilous spell. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be good to find out where the Reavers came from and precisely who was responsible for their creation as well as who put all this information here. So she pushes a button and she's like, oh, what's this? I must have miskeyed my command. I wish Madeline were here. This computer center is her domain. Blessed goddess. So she says all that while staring at the images of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Well, I'm imagining that, you know, there's like a flicker or something. Maybe it just took that long to turn the channel because it's such a complex machine. Or maybe it was a shot of the news lady talking and then it cut over to, I have here. Mm, That could be. And the camera pans. This is where Storm first sees that Jean Grey is alive. She shouts Jean Grey and then she immediately realizes that Wolverine knew something, screams his name, and flies out to find him. I don't think she knows that he knows something. Uh, I think she just says, Wolverine, because she just wants to tell him. Hey, Wolverine, Jean Grey's alive. uh, I don't think it's like, oh my God, can you believe it? Jean Grey is alive. It's more like, Remember that time you punched me by Sarah Gray's house and you didn't explain why? I think I know now why you did that. Well, I don't I don't think so because uh, in a couple of pages he she asks how long have you known? I think she knows. This is not like a oh my god, I'm so happy that she's alive. She's screaming like alive. I saw her Logan on the video slate. Jean Gray's alive. Yes. And you never told me. Well, I disagree. But uh why is she so angrily trying to find Wolverine then? I don't think she's angry. I think she's excited. I don't know. Look at this. When she's flying towards Wolverine and she says alive with that like scary font, her face looks angry. And when she grabs Wolverine by the scruff of his shirt, you don't do that to somebody you're you're excited with. Putting putting him in putting she's putting herself in a dominant pose above him. Okay, look, Jeremy, the X-Men are very emotional people. When Wolverine found out about Jean Grey being alive, he punched out Storm. I agree. I agree. So this is her reaction to finding out. She's super excited and freaks out, and it's the reaction. It's the Jean Grey reaction. Anytime anybody finds out Jean Grey is alive, they freak the F out. Uh, I don't know, Adam. Meanwhile, uh, Mr. Sinister, back in the Sinister Cave, uh, (laughs) snaps his Wolverine... Uh, action figure in half. Yeah, not a collector's item. No, no. This is like this is like modern Wolverine. 
This isn't like first appearance Wolverine with the whiskers. Oh no, no, no. This is this is many characters down the road. It's been overprinted. It's like X Men number one, like the nineties X Men number one. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh yeah, so she throws him towards the ground. Um after he admits that he knew about this, I feel like she suspects that he knows. And, that, and that's fine. I disagree, but it, it doesn't matter. No, it matters, Adam. Adam, I want you to see it. I want you to see it my way. That's never going to happen. She says, I saw her, Logan, on the video display. Jean Grey is alive. And he says, yep. And yeah. she says, you knew and never told me. And he goes, yep. Nothing on her face is happy. But well, all she, right. she, she's, she's freaking out. All right. I don't know. I just, I just feel like she wouldn't look so angry if she was happily exclaiming that Jean Grey was alive to Wolverine. But it's all right. It's all right. Uh, he, you can be wrong. That's that's. It's your choice. Um, you know, <laughs> I will. I will take that option. And uh, it is possible that I'm wrong for sure. But I'm probably not wrong. No, no, no you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so she throws him to the ground. Uh, and then catches him, of course. Nice throw. Better catch, mainly because you caught me. Uh, does ask, for how long have you known? First time I caught her scent was in the alley during the tussle with the marauders. And then later, it made me crazy. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't trust my senses. She was my best friend. I loved All her. All this time and you never said a word? Yep. Only, uh, let's see, Jean Grey died on the moon, sacrificed her life to save the universe. Only here are my senses suddenly telling me that not only is she alive, but this Jean Grey has no trace of Phoenix about her. The same woman, but fundamentally different. I didn't know what to do, so I punched you. <laughs> now wait, he can detect <laughs> the Phoenix trace? Sure. Phoenix smells Since different. Since when? <laughs> Since just now, when the plot required it. Remember, oh, Jim Shooter's not in charge anymore, so I don't know. They just, maybe they're still really on that, like, no, it was not, like, Phoenix was a different person. Bob Harris has got to keep better track of all this stuff. <laughs> so. He's the, no, wait, he's Tom DeFalco. Sorry, wrong, yeah, wrong yeah. editor. Editor, editor-in-chief, whatever. I didn't tell you I couldn't because I wasn't sure. Mind playing tricks on me. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I loved her. I lost her. End of story. Only now it ain't over. So. Then we flip our attention over to the Psylocke action figure, and uh, Psylocke, Rogue, and Colossus are in a training exercise in a cave. Uh, Psylocke's got her armor on. She's doing some acrobatics and using her skills and her wit to take out Colossus, but Colossus is very strong and throws her. Yeah, uh, it looks like she... she throws her cape over Colossus, but he manages to toss her. And it seems like, um, let's see, going like a shot, relax, don't tense up, stay loose, stay limber, let the armor take the impact. So is she in danger? I don't know. Yeah. He, she says, uh, he grabbed me. Who'd have suspected so much bulk could move so fast with such agility. There wasn't even a slightest thought. So Colossus just, just reacted and didn't even think about it. Uh, and apparently, well, we've also been setting up throughout the story that Colossus is abnormally more strong than he used to be. So maybe that's just part of that. No Colossus action figure. This next part's weird. It's always been weird to me. I mean, I, I get what's going on and I get the reason why it happens. But Rogue flies in, presses Psylocke up against the, um, against a uh, like a mountain wall or something. And she starts kind of mocking her armor and she's holding 
uh, Psylocke back. And I don't know if she's going in to like tickle her neck or take her cowl off or she's just being mean. Rogue is being mean. Yes. And, and they kind of say that, I mean, they don't really say it outright, but yeah, she's, she's going a bit too far and Betsy knocks her out yep. using tele telepathy or whatever. Psychic knife. <laughs> she doesn't have that yet. Psychic butterfly kiss. Spoilers. <laughs> Psychoblast, maybe? Let's go with Psychoblast. Psychoblast! Uh, yes, and so they start scolding her, uh, but then the voice comes back. Hey, don't yell at me, Elizabeth. Or, hi! Wait. No, it's Carol, so it's just, hey, don't yell at me, Elizabeth. <laughs> I forgot which character we were doing there for a second. Uh, this set was... Uh, the set two was none of my doing and they realized that the Carol psyche has taken over and Colossus who has apparently never realized that this is happening goes Sto, that is not Rogue's voice <laughs> we just need a, you know a little bit of uh, exposition of, of what's happening here nope Carol Danvers I'm running the girl's psyche while she nurses out a beautiful headache you hit her pretty hard Betsy she was asking for worse you recovered quickly enough so she takes off all of her armor to reveal that she's wearing a, either a teddy or a one-piece uh, swimsuit. Either way, oh, it's... Both. I, maybe it's a one-piece sw swimsuit on top of a teddy. It's it's lacy. It's it's sexy. It's really weird to, like, just do this in front of your coworkers. And then she goes for a swim. The swim I get, but to be, like, wearing this sexy negligee underneath your armor. Wait, what is a teddy? A teddy is, like, a sexy one-piece lacy... Thing what, like what, this. what is it short for? Like, why do they call it a teddy? I don't know. Maybe some dude named Theodore invented. <laughs> I have no idea Ugh. why it's called a teddy. Maybe it's some little girl fantasy thing of gross men who I don't know. No idea. <laughs> I've never looked up the origins of teddy. But anyways, point is, it's weird that she's wearing this. And then, yeah, it's 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 a basic two. It's two Mark Silvestri cheesecake shots. One from behind and one from in front. Exactly. You get your breasts and you get your butt. Woo! But um, the point here, of course, is that she's uh, she's a lot of skin there and Rogue, uh, not Rogue, Carol Danvers in Rogue's body, uh, touches her on her shoulder as they talk about what the kid's been through and such. But the point here is that when she's got her Carol personality, she doesn't absorb powers. And I don't like this. Is that the point? I think so, because this happened oh. in uh, one of the other issues uh, a, a while back, a couple of issues ago when Carol first took over. They made a point of showing somebody touching, or Rogue touching somebody, with this kind of like exclamation. I that was when she didn't have her powers because of her mind wiper, wipeout. Uh, I feel like it was after mind wiper stored their powers, but I might be wrong. But in any event, like... She's not absorbing powers here, and this panel here is clearly showing that she's touching Betsy. Yeah, it is, and um, I thought it was dumb because I thought it was like it was alluding to something, but I couldn't figure out what it was alluding to. And in the previous panel, Rogue has her gloves on, so she took off a glove just so that she could touch. See, like if yes. it makes sense if she's secretly stealing Betsy's powers, <laughs> right? She takes off a glove and she kind of walks up to her and she's doing that. But then if it's that, it never gets followed up on. Oh, so I was just confused. Right. So because the very next page or the next panel is flipping our attention over to Madeline Pryor's action figure. So it could be like left unsaid that 
Yeah, and then and then Rogue stole Psylocke's powers. And there was a whole other adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be followed up in some Marvel tales some, somewhere down the road. No, I think the point is, and I don't like it, is that I guess Rogue's inability to control her power is mental and not physical, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, the whole the whole Carol Danvers the Danvers thing is uh, gonna go away eventually. It, it, I was kind of weird that it was still here. Like I I figured it was sort of gone after the Genosha thing, but it's it's a part of her. Nope it it becomes a pretty big plot point for a while, and then yes, you're right. Spoilers, it goes away. Anyways. We do flip our attention over to Mr. Sinister playing with his Madeline action figure. I guess all of the other action figures are smashed on the ground because he's done with them. <laughs> he plays rough. You were my pride, my joy, my first, in so many ways, the best. What I dreamed of accomplishing with you, Madeline, now nothing but dust. What a waste. And he smashes it just like all the others. We, uh, we get some more music. Uh, Alex is... In his bikini briefs, he's got a picture of him and Polaris. He's got some lemonade. He's got a book, maybe a textbook, and he's listening to some tunes and sunbathing. Wearing a speedo. He's listening to Devil with a Blue Dress, which Devil with a Blue Dress, Blue Dress, Blue Dress is Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Whatever. I never knew that. <laughs> is that like a thing that you feel like you should know? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm well aware of the song. I mean, we yeah. all are probably well aware of the song. I just didn't know who, who sang it. And so I looked it up and now you know. Are you going to remember it after this podcast? Like if I ask you again next week, hey, Jeremy, do you remember who sang Devil with a Blue Dress, Blue Dress, Blue Dress, Devil with a Blue Dress on? Are you going to be like, it was Mitch Ryder. And the Detroit Wheels. And even those Detroit Wheels as well. More than likely, no. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I mean, I won't remember. I I forgot about the Detroit Wheels already. <laughs> the who? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're getting some flashbacks. He's he's daydreaming or sleeping or napping, one of the two, and he's thinking about being at Scott's wedding with uh, Lorna and everybody was dancing. And, of course, it flips back to uh, him facing off with Polaris slash uh, Malice. And then right back into Madeline. Yeah, so this is this is imagining that Polaris turns into Malice at Scott's wedding, um, which didn't happen. Right. But uh, yeah, and so he he gets shocked when she turns into Malice. He backs up. Madeline's right behind him. They and they start dancing. Yes. And then he uh, he wakes up. He realizes it was a dream, and he looks up. Well, he says. Only a dream. Thank heaven. Too bad. <laughs> and then he's still listening to Devil with a Blue Dress, and he sees the outline of a woman in a dress, which we find out in the next panel, is blue. What? Oh, my gosh. Foreshadowing. Alliterative. Is that right? I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you. He falls out of his lawn chair and knocks over the lemonade and the picture of him and Polaris smashes in the ground and the glass breaks everywhere. Well, that certainly is a way to make a lady feel welcome by reacting as if she was one of the brood. <laughs> Classic Silvestri shot. Madeline is uh, in the side of the panel and for some reason her boob is also in the panel. 
<laughs> well, you know. Totally unnecessary boob here. It's reality. That's exactly how this picture would work. <laughs> yes. It, it's like uh, Alex's chin is right to her boob. Yeah. It's weird. Just get ready. If you're uh, not tired of boobs yet, Inferno is pretty much just a big boob fest for a while. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he's like, she's like, I heard your music. It sounds great. Yeah, I wrote that myself. <laughs> Me and the Detroit Wheels. <laughs> a Mitch Ryder, you know, part-time anyways. Gateway teleports me to Detroit, hang out with the wheels. We sing some songs. It's cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you look uh, you look great. Thank you, kind sir. I did it just for you. So she's, Thank you, kind sir. I did it just for you. She's flirting with him like crazy, and he's like, no, Madeline, don't. Come on, you're my wife. Come on, you're my wife's brother. News to him these days, Alex. I didn't walk out on him. I didn't abandon our baby. I didn't toss this commitment down the dumpster. <laughs> so he, she, I guess, walks a little bit of ways because it kind of looks like he was sunbathing outside of her bedroom. Or maybe this is his bedroom, or maybe this is just a random Australian outback bedroom. No, I think this is the sex room, because this is the (laughs) same room that Allison and Longshot were in a couple issues ago. It's just designated. There's a big (laughs) sign on the door that just says sex. Wolverine's like, Storm. She's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going up to sleep in the sex room. (laughs) I'm still mad at you about this whole Jean Grey thing. You know, I was angry at you and not happy earlier. (laughs) She says it right here. Well, I'll be up there. You know where to find me. (laughs) In the sex room. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, yeah, uh, they're they're both hurt. They're both betrayed by those they love. Is it so bad to feel a little solace to ease the pain? And they they go into the sex room and they're going to have sex. They're they're scared, they say. I don't know. I'm scared. I, I need, I want no more dear heart, nor less than I. Hey, are we in the sex room? <laughs> Gosh, it smells funky in here. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. So then we flip to Mr. Sinister looking, I guess, down upon his orphanage. So I think this might take place an hour or so before the X Factor issue we read last issue. At this point, everything starts wrapping into each other. So yeah, this is, this probably takes... It doesn't At least matter. this part of it takes place beforehand. Yeah. So uh, little baby uh, Nathan is in his little tube. And uh, I guess we don't know that here. We we can presume it, but it doesn't out and out say it. We get the Nathan Christopher Charles Summers. Oh, he does say it. You're right. In the, uh, in the X Factor issue, it was just Christopher Summers. So what does Mr. Sinister know that Scott doesn't? I don't know. Because in, in, in the X-Factor issue, we learned that Nathan was a, somebody who used to pick on Scott. Oh. I don't think I ever put those things together. One kid, we called him Lefty. His real name was Nathan of all things. Mm, interesting. So I named my kid after him. <laughs> or Mr. Sinister did. I don't know. And then there's a, a random panel of Nastir that has nothing to do with anything. This is the third confusing thing in this issue. I don't know where Nastir is. What's the second confusing thing? Uh, when Rogue touches Psylocke. Oh, oh with the first confusing thing? Um, oh my god, you're, I gotta go back to the beginning and remember things? Yeah. I'm terrible at remembering things. Was it the action figures that were confusing? Oh no, it was the, the 
uh, I can't leave my body, but you can still leave your body. Oh, you just oh, can't oh. leave your body. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I always assumed as I read this issue, whether I was correct or not, and this one I uh, I'm not as steadfast as I am on that as I am on that other point, that he's just kind of like lurking around uh, Mr. Sinister's lair. But there's no context. <laughs> well, only because like the way that these boxes are drawn, you have the the rectangular headshot of Mr. Sinister. Then you have a half shot of his legs. And then below that half shot, you've gotten a steer. But both of those panels are parallel to or adjacent, I should say, to his head. So it kind of makes it look like all of this is happening in the same location. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> Why isn't a steer half in the wall? Such a tiny world. Yet so many seem eager to claim it for their own, not least myself. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they realized that they had an extra panel they needed to fill. And if I'm an X-Men reader and I'm not reading anything else, I'm like, who is this guy? Oh, uh, no, we saw we we saw him. In, yeah, I, I guess I guess we did see him in a previous issue. Yeah, in the Genosha where he's like, what's up, lady? Okay, this is my first issue? I'm like, what? <laughs> well, yes. If this is your first issue, you're way lost. <laughs> Jean, not Jean, Madeline is up. She, they just had sex in the sex room. She's hanging out and she's like, look at you sleeping over there. Wish I could. I can't. Should I envy you your dreams, or would you envy, envy me the fact that I have none? Another time, another place, who knows what might have been here and now. Who can say what will yet be? I could save you, but it's best that I don't. I could save you, but it's best that I don't. So she's back into her evil... I don't... Maybe she's naked. I don't know what's going on here, but... No, she's wearing her goblin outfit. But her goblin outfit has a, a piece that covers her neck, and this is kind of like a cloak and dagger like daggers outfit that just like exposes her chests this is like a goblin outfit accessory this this is the uh the the piece of lingerie that goes on top of the goblin outfit oh okay sort of like a, a loose robe yeah but this doesn't make any sense because when she's in the goblin outfit like everything except for her shoulders and boobs are exposed well right this goes on top of that oh that's like the cloak or something yeah yeah okay all right i'll buy that She's a very fashionable goblin lady. Look, I like to think that she's so confident that she gets into this giant chair in front of the monitor in front of Nastir. She's naked. She doesn't care. And she's like, look, and it does say Goblin Queen here, by the way. Uh, I want my baby. I want my son. But she's clearly wearing clothes in the second panel. I know, but I just like to think that she doesn't care. <laughs> she's just, I just had sex and I want my baby and I'm naked. And I don't care. Stop looking at me. My eyes are up here. We have a bargain, Nastir, remember? Why are you sneaking around uh, Sin uh, Sinister's place? Yeah, I, I also like to think that this phone call, this computer phone call, he's like like under a desk in Mr. Sinister's lair. Um, I can't really talk. <laughs> um, we got to light these sparks for Inferno. Oh, he's coming. Shh, shh, shh. Okay, he's passed. Um, also, also, I'm imagining that just beyond the panel towards us is Alex sleeping in a bed. <laughs> <laughs> sure this is like the closet of the sex room what's that giant thing on the screen go back is to that, sleep that looks, that looks like a, oh some tired <laughs> you're dreaming uh yep she says we have a bargain uh i want the marauders found so the x-men can pay them back for the misery they've caused but most of all i want my son and in her eye we have like an exploding sun maybe there's a little phoenix head in the bottom is that what you I'm sure that's what they're going for, but I don't really see Phoenix 
there because you see, there's the phoenix head and then the, the 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 rounds of the eyes are the the arms going up the fiery arms it's a circle hmm. i see it okay I, I i'm sure that's what they were going for i don't quite see it but i think i think you're right and somewhere in a room nearby, Wolverine says, says I smell Phoenix. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Didn't smell it on Gene, but I smell it now. Good thing nobody's nearby for me to punch. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I think Inferno's ignited. We have Inferno ignition. Inferno ignition. <laughs> we have Inferno. Careful. We've got Inferno. Despite the confusing things that occur in this issue of which there's a few as we've pointed out uh i like this issue it's it's a it's a filler but it's it's kind of again it's like a like a palate cleanser like we just got done with this thing i prefer to say less filler more setup yeah yeah i suppose it's too harsh for me to say filler but like nothing's really happened like we didn't have a battle scene and and that's fine did you watch yesterday's game of thrones I did. Do you, okay. Are you sure you want to talk about it, like on this podcast? Very quickly. What if somebody, uh, spoilers, if you haven't watched the latest season of Game of Thrones? Yes. Just because yes, people, people get tight about this. Don't you, do you, remember, do you remember what happened to Stephen King when he spoiled the Joffrey thing? Oh, no, I don't. I didn't know about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, spoilers granted, for anybody who hasn't seen that season. I, all I said was the Joffrey thing. You don't know what that means. But he tweeted it, but literally like an hour or two after the episode had finished. And it, like the Internet was just pissed at him. So we'll, we'll be like a week behind. But still, Internet gets pretty tight about Game of Thrones. Anyways, well, what did you want to ask? I'm just saying that that episode that aired last night, episode one, mm-hmm. season whatever we're on, it was it was a setup episode. Nothing really happens. It's essentially filler. Yeah, it was a filler episode. Frankly, Adam... This entire season, in my opinion, is going to be nothing but filler until you get to the last episode. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not be. complaining. Like I, 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 I like the show and everything, but I feel like once they stopped following what's his name's work, everything started moving way faster. Oh yeah, no, the show's much uh, less cohesive ever since they had a template to follow. Right, and so. That's one of the things that I liked about the earlier seasons, the stuff that followed George R. R. Martin, is that somebody said that they would want to get from like one side of the continent to the other side of the continent. It was going to take three seasons. Yeah. And they'd have a little adventure along the way and like nothing would go right. And now they're jumping back and forth between worlds in the span of an episode. Oh, my gosh. They're in the north. They're in the south. They're on this continent. They're on that continent. And it's just happening in no time. And. Uh, the flow is different. I mean, I understand they're trying to wrap it up and everything, but it's really just not the same feel as it as it was. But it took what's her face, uh, Ty- Targaryen, like four seasons to get across that ocean. Yeah, and and now she's beyond the wall, at least once. Now she's got dragons. <gasps> Spoilers. Not, well, we already said the spoiler warning for crying out loud. Oh, okay. All right. It's easier to travel when you got dragons. But yes, you're right. There was no no major thing. I don't know. I I do, I'm I know that there's going to be a huge CGI battle at some point. Yes. And I'm not looking forward to that. Well, that's that's what the entire show is building up to is that CGI battle. If they do it really well like they did the Jon Snow uh versus Renly whatever his name was, that was a that was a good battle. Was it a CGI battle? Well, it was, but they threw enough characters in there 
to where to the point where you were actually interested in it. Oh, I see. Whereas when you had that other previous battle of last season where it was Jon Snow and his his buddies against all of the ice men. Yeah. That battle was dumb. <laughs> well, I mean that battle only existed to do the thing that they did with the thing. Yeah, I know. Okay. Anyways, we got some communications from folks. We sure did. We got uh <clears throat> Georgina at GE Porter. I love that your go-to English accent is Mrs. Doubtfire, who is Scottish. I didn't know that. Ah, uh, I mean I mean, how many times have I ever watched Mrs. Doubtfire? Probably <laughs> once when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah but I, you know, after after we get that tweet, I'm like, yeah, okay, she's not English. I hate to tell you, but still, I, I I don't know that we're gonna change. Ooh. No, of course not. She loves it. <laughs> yeah. Why would we change it? Why would we change it? Georgina loves that. Uh, Paul Bergen, enjoy the show. Uh, you really, uh, you really should wiki steel eye span and check out the name of the lead singer. It might answer a couple of questions to you or for you. As you recall, uh, I think Madeline was listening to steel eye span and I was like, I don't know what this is. Well, the lead singer of that band is named Madeline Pryor, but spelt differently. Well, Maddie Pryor, but spelt, spelt differently. I think it's P R I O R. I don't think her name is Madeline. And I, but I, but I, but I think it's P R. Well, I thought it was P R Y O R, but whatever. I can't remember. No, I'm gonna look it up. At any rate, that explains why uh, Chris Claremont has used the name twice. So all your questions were answered. But yeah, I didn't know that. So thanks, Paul. That's a, that's a really cool information. I've lost Jeremy to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it? Oh, Maddie Pryor, P-R-I-O-R. Okay. But I bet you, I mean, Maddie is probably short for Madeline. Well, it might be, but didn't, right, right didn't here, a little it says, girl? Right here on Discogs, it says June M. Pryor, Maddie, Maddie Pryor, Madeline Pryor, Maddie Pryor, Pryor. Like, those are all the names that she's gone by. I don't know where June comes from, but. Oh. So. Oh, and it's actually, I'm sorry, it's not Madeline, it's Madeleine. So it's it's way different, but. Close. Doesn't doesn't the little girl when we first meet Maddie Pryor, the little girl in the hospital, isn't she Maddie Pryor? She is Maddie Pryor. Okay. I don't remember how she spelled Pryor though. Oh, I don't either. And I'm not looking it up. I have it on my iPad. I posted it to a recent episode. I'm Maddie Pryor. It's spelled P R Y O R, exactly the way Madeline Pryor spells her name. Well, you know, he doesn't want to get sued, Chris Claremont. <laughs> Oh, so maybe what you're saying is that Chris Claremont is a huge Steel Eye Span fan? Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously, he is. He used the name twice. That could very well be. In fact, I think that all of the X-Men's names go back to obscure bands that we're just not aware of. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean... I, I, I'm just making it up. <laughs> Len Wein created a lot of those characters. I'm sure Steel Eye Span isn't a terribly obscure band either. It's just <laughs> probably we're... Or, uh, maybe in the States, they're more obscure. I've never heard of them. And if I've never it's heard of them. not a very good name, honestly. Well, neither is Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. That's a better name than Steel Ice Span. <laughs> now, Mitch Ryder and Steel Ice Span, that would be a good name. Whereas Madeline Pryor and the Detroit Wheels, that's still better. All right. Yeah, so if you want to... Uh... 
share some information with us or send us any other communications or agree with me that Storm was pissed at Wolverine and not happy with him, you can do so. I would define. <laughs> By visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter us at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. You can call us 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever I... Oh, I screwed up. <clears throat> or wherever podcasts are found. <laughs> wherever iTunes is found. <laughs> <laughs> our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And uh, if you would like to be featured as a background character and get your name mentioned... Uh, as either a mop person or a random Genotianite. Just like Adrian Bundy in this issue. Yes. Give us a, a visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash danger room and check out all of our subscriber ranks. Of which we have two. Yes. I thought you added a third one. Well, I added a, a goal. Ah. So oh. the goal the goal is separate, sort of. Okay. Fun. Well, there you go, everybody. Contribute to our goal. Yeah. Is there a time limit that we have to, to make our goal? Uh, until we decide we're not going to do that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but no, I don't think there's going to be a time limit for it. Okay. So I read Exterminators. Number three. And New Mutants. And they more or less are happening simultaneously. But I think we can cover Exterminators First and fast. Oh, uh, yeah. I think Exterminators is, yeah, you kind of have to handle it first. <laughs> so, yes, the the Exterminator kids are trying to make their way to the cemetery so that they can rescue Taki, Takashi. And Artie and Leech. And Artie and Leech. Uh, because as you recall, Nastir, or Crotus, or Crotum, or whatever his name is. Scrotus. Scrotum. Scrotus, whatever his <laughs> name is. He he brought Tak Takashi. What what is his name? Is it Takashi or Taki? It's Taki and Takashi. His I think his name is Takashi, but they call him Taki. Alright, Takashi seems less racist than Taki, so I'm gonna go with Takashi. <laughs> um he can make a computer that will make checking spells faster. And Nastir, for as smart as he is, is really stupid in this issue. Because Takashi keeps saying, like, well, I could make this spell checker for you, uh, but I need some stuff. I need diapers for those babies. Is he stupid, though? Nastir? Takashi's yeah. smart. Takashi's playing Nastir like a like a fool. But Nastir... Yeah, but who, who, who wins in the end? Well, I guess Nastir wins. So Nastir is, is playing along to get the things that he needs. Uh, meanwhile, exterminators are just trying to get to the graveyard, and they're running into all sorts of problems with, like, ghost drivers and rats and all sorts of stuff. Because, as we said, New York City is both extremely hot and also um, things are coming alive. Right. Oh, w one of which is explained. Nastir says, in the same fashion I have been transforming, because he transforms a gun that Taki just made into a, a monster— in this same fashion, I have been transforming the island of Manhattan, but the work has been slow, painstaking, and exhausting. Now you are going to help me speed it up. Right. Which I guess is important. But also, um, earlier, in earlier issues of um, 
I guess the Inferno prologues that we've been reading, the cracks of Limbo have been letting things through. So I think it's also partially what's happening. Okay. I don't know. Either that or they're just retconning it here. It doesn't matter. So Takashi keeps asking for more and more things, which uh, Nastir sends people to get. Takes uh, the exterminators a long time to get to the graveyard, but they finally are able to steal some motorcycles. And uh, I think it's awesome that they can, they all know how to ride motorcycles. It's kind of a cool scene because they get attacked by a bunch of uh, a biker gang. Mm -hmm. And in the top panel, the biker gang are like, beating the shit out of them and then the next panel they're using their powers and beating the biker gang it's, yeah it's kind of funny yeah it's all very comic uh drawn comically as well and then, then yeah and then, then the next page they're riding motorcycles because everybody knows how to drive a motorcycle everybody does super easy so yeah they get there um the spell checkers on its way uh exterminators get in they fight um, they're trying to save the babies, but they all get beaten. They're all knocked out. And uh, Nastir is going to feed them all to the goblins. But Takashi's like, nope, you still need me. So he's like, all right, let's do it. And he starts tapping in characters. Uh, and the goblins fly all the babies up into the sky to make a giant pentagram. And then using, I guess, the spell checker, the babies, and the things that are happening in the issue of New Mutants... Uh, Nastir says that he controls the teleportation discs. Right. Honestly, so when, when I was reading Inferno, I was not a reader of New Mutants. And this story, more or less, Exterminator stands on its own. It kind of bleeds into, like, the Inferno stuff we'll read in X-Men and X-Factor. Uh, but maybe it goes without saying, but this story and the teleportation discs and what happens afterwards is done so much better in New Mutants. For sure. Um, <laughs> although it's both written by Louise Simonson, so I guess she was a little more interested in one than the other. I mean, more or less, things things are kind of like they, they keep, well, Exterminators references New Mutants a couple of times as things are happening, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout the issue. But So the first place that they move to is Times time Square. The first spell that Nastir has Taki cast mm -hmm. is a is a teleportation tie that moves them to Times Square. Is this building that is on? Uh, I don't know what page this is. The cameras, copiers, video building. Is that supposed to be the uh, the building from the Empire State Building from before? I mean, obviously, it doesn't look like it at all. Uh, I've only been in New York City once, and I I don't recall Empire State Building being on Times Square. I think it's close. Well, that, that that was, I guess, the question is in because Empire State's building seemed rather important in that X Men issue that we just covered, and I believe, and it's also mentioned in the New Mutants cover issue that we're about to cover. Uh, so I was just wondering if this all ties in together, but I guess not. It's a great question. I feel like as Nastir is standing on top of this building on the last page, there's no way to know, but I feel like he's standing on the top of the Empire State Building. I don't think I, yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's what I want it to be, but it just doesn't look like it. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a green background and whatever he's standing on does not look like the top of the Empire State Building, but I want it to so be. So yeah, I, I, I want to imagine that that is the Empire State Building and maybe they read, they will retcon that next issue. Also, he's got the exterminators like all kind of, he's got them all in a ball. And it kind of reminds me of one of the scenes from Nightmare on Elm Street where Freddy had all of the dream warriors in a ball. 
sort of oh, a yeah. ball. I don't know. And then he made some sort of joke. You don't watch horror movies. Well, I know Freddy Krueger, though. He probably <laughs> was like, uh, balls ahoy or something. <laughs> I think that's exactly what the line was. <laughs> he says balls ahoy. Weird. Because why not? <laughs> There's also Nastir does a little backstory about um, what's going on with M and stuff, but we'll get most of that in yes. Mutants. I like the uh, panel. That's like the only panel uh, that's not cartoony in Exterminators is the panel of Sim in his techno-organic virus fighting the New Mutants. Like yeah, panel. That's, a, that's a cool panel. Actually, all of the drawings of Nastir in in Exterminators and New Mutants are all really cool. Mm-hmm. He's, very, he's a very interesting creature. But I was referring to Sim in the pages of Exterminators. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I was on top of the fact that that panel looks nice. I also think that Nastir also typically looks as well-drawn and not as cartoony. But in New Mutants number 71, I feel like Brett Blevins is just crushing these pencils. You're you're a big fan of Brett Blevins. I, li- I don't know what... I like him. I don't know why. Yeah, you, I think you've said that every New Mutants issue that we've covered <laughs> that has been drawn by him. It's too bad Rob Liefeld's about to take over. If nothing else, this podcast helps you discover Brett Blevins. <laughs> there you go. Uh, pretty soon, none of these new mutants will have feet. It's, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I think he, he hits uh, X-Factor before he hits new mutants. You're right. You're right. And, and I think he also hits Uncanny for an issue. Maybe that's after new mutants, though. Oh, I can't wait to rip on those. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yes, uh, the New Mutants were in space, and they teleport into Limbo, and they can't get out of Limbo, and Limbo is a disaster. Sim has has taken over Limbo, the techno-organic virus has taken over Limbo, and uh, Ileana does not know why she can't teleport out of Limbo. No, and... uh, Sim like has her on the ropes. He, he's got her soul sword. He's got her bound up, and he's like, "I wonder what this sword will do against you." And uh, Sim shows up, and and really, he's like techno organic. Is he techno organic? He's very hash marked for some reason. Sam or 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 Nastir. Nastir. Oh no, no, Nastir is not techno organic. He's just hash marked. A lot of hash marks, but anyways, he shows up and he's scolding Sim. Well, Sim tries to uh, decapitate Ilyana mm-hmm. with with her own soul sword, mm-hmm. and her armor prevents him from doing that. Um, and then Nastir shows up and is like, "What did you What did you try to do that for? We need her. What the heck?" She teleports. She's able to at the last. Well, after the failed attempt at decapitating her, she's able to uh, teleport them away. She can teleport within Limbo. She just can't teleport outside of Limbo. Right. So they they go kind of on a uh, a flashback series of different aspects of uh, Ileana's past and first when she was six years old. And so they discover all the dead bodies of the X-Men that we had seen before, Nightcrawler and Cat. It's kind of a neat thing here uh, where she's revealing for the first time to probably anybody, uh, certainly the New Mutants, like what exactly happened. The New Mutants initially are just horrified of like, what? Wait, you murdered Nightcrawler? And they're alive. I mean, they were alive and then they died, but you didn't do that. Well, Cat murdered Nightcrawler and Ilyana murdered Cat. Well, 
but they go through kind of the history that we've seen play out but we're we're in this it's it's cool time travel thing where now they're watching um a six-year-old iliana running away from sim sim picking her up and like just beating her up and they're like we gotta save her and, and iliana's like no you can't that's me like if you save her like none of this can happen so it's cool time travel stuff at which point I'm like, wait, we don't want any of this to happen. Let's go kill Sim. <laughs> That's true, because if they went and killed Sim right now, none of Inferno would occur. I mean, you know, admittedly, the New Mutants would be trapped in limbo, but right. at least until Ilyana gets her, her powers under control. However, uh, would they be trapped in limbo? Because Ilyana wouldn't have grown up with Sim always chasing her and potentially could have altered the time-space continuum such that when they were trying to pull Ileana out, they wouldn't have, and then she couldn't have teleported them in the first place. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's, that's tough. Time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's neat, though, to to kind of watch this. So the New Mutants get a new sort of respect for the experience that she had gone, gone through that kind of made her into this well, woman that they are currently... Uh, afraid of, but now they they have more sympathy for her. Um, and then they see Nastir uh, stop M from beating the crap out of uh, Ilyana. And Ilyana, older Ilyana, has never seen Nastir before. Doesn't know who it is that's defending her. And uh, then the demons show up, and she teleports somewhere else. And that's when we get the actual Empire State Building. Uh, Magneto with the Hellfire Club are they're noting that it is growing, and I guess maybe they're in it. Yeah, I, I guess they're at the top of it with a bunch of uh, people that are just kind of tourists. They're tourists. They're tourists. Yeah, the tourists on the observation deck below seem more disturbed by the weather, and they're all complaining about how high they are and how hazy it is. And one woman's fa fanning herself. Kind of looks like there's some debris in the air. One guy is looking through some binoculars, and the binoculars eat his eyes, which is pretty awesome. Which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes, my eyes, my eyes now. Blink, blink, like them. And it's only awesome because of this panel of the <laughs> the telescope looking back at him with eyes that are bleeding. <laughs> yes. It's a very cool That's panel. Great, yeah. And Magneto's die, thing of evil. So Magneto saw all this occur, and he has destroyed the binoculars and i guess the eyes of this poor man <laughs> yeah that guy's never that guy's never gonna recover we get some unnecessary like they're falling and magneto's like i had your costumes laced with steel it's a good thing that that i did that because it paid off hey i had your uh, costume laced with steel you know so i could help you out uh, later you know yeah <laughs> And some steel is falling, and Magneto's trying to prevent the the girders from, I guess, landing on the people. I'm not entirely sure what's happening. The uh, the the antenna at the top of the Empire State Building is crumpling, crumbling, and the building is like falling apart. And people start panicking and running into an elevator. Mm -hmm. This is pretty cool too. They all run into this elevator. There's a whole bunch of people, and it's falling. Uh, uh, White Queen says earlier that she doesn't have her telepathy, but then she says, no, Magnus, I can feel it. Feel them scream. The elevator, catch it. It. And it crashes to the ground. The doors open and all this blood and skeleton stuff flows out of the door. That's pretty rad. She doesn't say she doesn't have her telepathic power. She says without her telepathic power, she could, she thinks she could still feel what she's feeling. Hmm. Oh, I see. 
Oh, I gotcha. This is really dark, this like elevator sequence. It's actually both of these issues. There's a sequence in Exterminators 3 where all the demons eat a policeman. Yes. There's some, there's some vicious stuff going on. But they, but I mean, it's kidified by the fact that after they get done eating him, he's, he's, he's a goblin and not like, Oh no, no, no. That's the first one. The second oh. one just gets eaten. Oh, okay. All right. And, and we cut away and all we see is him like screaming. Okay. But we don't see like this panel and, and a bunch of demons there. He's all we hear is Yarg. And then there's a, like a bunch of demons over the top of his body. And one of them's like raising something bloody to his mouth. One of them's carrying away something bloody. It's pretty gory. Gross. But yeah, it's definitely not to this level of shining. <laughs> right, right. Bloody elevator. So they teleport back to Nastir, the new mutants, and Nastir's like, hey. Well, no, this is not Nastir, Nastir. This is Nastir. This is Nastir in the past in Limbo, not Nastir in the present in Manhattan. No, right. Understood. Uh, yes. And uh, th- th- we get kind of an idea of the plot here, which is kind of neat. He's been watching her all these years. He saved her, jumped in to save her from Sim. And uh, he wants to help her because he loves her. So, like, all of this has been, like, a big, long plan. Although, uh, what we kind of skipped over, which we kind of know, is uh, Ileana trying to explain time in Limbo. It doesn't make sense. It goes faster. It goes slower. So this 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 could be Nastir from the future. Well, it says in a far dimension in an earlier time. Yeah. The caption sort of gives it away. <laughs> well, fine. The uh, uh, but hey, you know, it this can be this can be one of those things that you're wrong about again. So <laughs> the place could be different, and uh, but but it could be a Nastir from a different timeline in the whatever it doesn't matter. <laughs> so he he kind of explains to uh, Ilyana that she can she has to get her sword back from uh, Sim and that she has to embrace her dark magic side. And that's and that she has the power to escape from limbo. It's within her. She's just afraid to use it. And uh, Ileana's like, well, why are you helping me? You're a demon. What's the catch? And he's like, well, you know, maybe maybe you can come back when you're done and marry me. <laughs> yep. It's weird. New mutants are all like, no, you can't do that. And she's like, ah, but he loves me and he can save us. All right, let's do this thing. <laughs> So they teleport once again, they find Sim, and uh, they use some magic, they have a little fight, and that's when Ileana goes full demon. Her armor is gone, and she is just red. She's got big tail and cloven hooves, huge horns, forked tongue, and her sword. And she quotes Magneto. I am power. She does. But she doesn't say it like that. She says, eh, I am power. <laughs> you know, many years around Magneto. Yeah. And uh, they don't really understand what's happening. She's got her sword back, but now they're hovering over Manhattan. Well, she teleports them back to, she teleports them back to the earth. Right. And uh, not, not back to the, uh, the school where she would have expected, but they're in Manhattan over Times Square. Right. The new mutants fall out of it. And so do a ton of demons. Because she, she can't close the stepping disc. I'd like to think that above them, because we don't we don't actually see above them, uh, are, is the pentagram of babies. 
Yeah, I'm sure it's up there. But we don't see it in this book. I feel like that would have been a nice touch if they would have like done a from the street view up you just see the pentagram of babies all these things falling although i guess for the context of this story you'd be like what is that pentagram of babies for (laughs) so i guess it makes sense not to show it all you see is just demons falling into times square and uh nastir is like she confronts nastir and she's like you tricked me he's like yep i'm a demon that's what i do but he does say pretty much (laughs) dark child though i truly love you i am a demon so is the is the pentagram in the sky, is that the stepping disc that they're all coming out of? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's story filler to make exterminators uh, a thing. I don't remember how exterminators ends, but I imagine it ends by them closing off the pentagram and thus subsiding the demons, but Inferno carries on. But I don't remember. Hopefully I didn't just spoil it. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> it matters. Ruined for everybody. <laughs> I I truly don't remember. So it'll be just as much a surprise to me as it will be to all of our listeners. We also covered Marvel Comics Presents number 14. Or I guess we're also covering. We didn't already cover it. We're continuing our read of it. Continuing our our coverage of Marvel Comics Presents. In the last issue, a agent asked Colossus to hit her. So in this first page of this one, he hits her and then he brings her inside where she basically reveals the entire plot that there is a, a group of uh, cold warriors, secrets, uh, secret agents who are working for the government who stop the typical citizens of America know that there is crazy stuff happening, um, usually by killing this crazy stuff. And she apologizes. The family caught wind of some of that family stuff the thing in the woods where those guys were trying to kill the person that the little kid came across yep and uh she tells colossus where to go to find the cold warriors and uh stop alexander and she says she's going to protect the children or the uh, the family rather and then we we get a little uh so colossus leaves to go to some way station and then the we get a follow-up on last issue where the the mother seemed to lose her mind. She reveals to her son that a long time ago, mommy had a breakdown once. She went crazy. Daddy's afraid it'll happen again. And uh, the kid says, I know, mom, or I knew. I hear whispers at night, but I'm glad you finally told the truth. I hate secrets. Secrets hurt people. And that's when the cold warriors find Colossus and spray him with some sort of fire and something comes through the wall of the house back at the farm and grabs the mom by the face. It's creepy. Whoa. These are short. <laughs> this is this is part five of eight. So there's three more of these. Yeah. The Colossus stories seem to move quick. They're either less pages or less words. I don't know which. I think they're less words because the pages, I think, are all the same. But I could be wrong. Yeah. All right, then. Well, I think... Uh... I think that's it, Adam. Oh, oh, yes. That is it. <laughs> I I think we're we're good. I think we covered everything. Do you remember the name of that band? Eddie Munster and the Dixie Wheels. <laughs> you uh, got it. Mitch Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. All yes. right, you got it. Maddie Pryor and the Love and Spoonful. Nice. 
Yes. Love and Spoonful. Good callback. Steel Ice Band. I got all the bands. Steel Ice Band. You got all the bands. <laughs> all right. Well, then, yeah, I guess that's all there is to, to say this time around. Sure is. All right, then. Well. <laughs> Sex room. <laughs> Callbacks. Uh, okay. Well, then, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>